Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Welcome to Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR. This program is streaming on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Once again, Kelly has put her hand into that radical bowl and pulled out another sacrificial lamb. Dean Lim, how art thou? I'm very good. Hi, everyone. Yeah. Look, I can tell you're a media personality, Dean, because... You talk to the listeners. That's unusual, you know. People think they're just talking to me. So you're a professional, mate. What's going on here? I mean, you don't tell me. This is not going to be like the ABC. I'm not promoting some in-house program at 3CR, am I? No, I hope not. <laughs> you hope not. But you do do a program here, don't you? Yes. What so what? I'm one. Yes. So what I'm you... one of three co-hosts. Of what? Um, of a show called Behind Closed Doors, and we're on every Thursday, 6pm, on 3CR. Right. Yeah, this is like this is what they do at the ABC, you know that. They cross-promote. They cross-promote. But we're not like the ABC. We're different, Dean. We're here to learn about you. Now, Dean, look, this is a simple interview. Well, it's a chat, really. I wouldn't describe it as an interview. I'm not going to ask you any hard questions like who you've killed in the last four weeks. But it's very simple. We talk to you about your life. Hopefully uh, your experiences will um, give courage and encouragement to uh, other people listening. Now, Dean, what year were you born, just to orientate our listeners? Well, I was born a long, long, long time ago, uh, in the dark ages, yes. uh, i.e. Uh, in, the, in the ages before internet. Uh, you're not <laughs> as old as me, Dino. So you'd be more anywhere... 1980s then. Well, let's say I'd, that. I'd, I'd leave it at that. Yeah. Leave it at that. We'll <laughs> leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I was born in the early 50s, so I was born before we had telephones. <laughs> okay. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's the first thing you remember about being on planet Earth? Any early memory you'd like to share? Oh, um, I did a lot of travelling as a child because my parents aren't from Australia. And uh, we, uh, because of work, we travelled from to different countries. And my my, my dad worked um, in different places, and finally settled in in uh, Melbourne, Australia. Mm, but that doesn't answer my question. What's your earliest memory? <laughs> damn, damn, I can't. <laughs> no, 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 no. Can we go out of well, it. <laughs> I've got to fill fifty six. I've got to fill fifty six minutes about your life. And I'm I want to get sure. to the nitty gritty, you know, really interesting stuff like who did you kick at kindergarten? Did you go to kindergarten? This type of <laughs> interrogation, Dean. Oh, damn. Okay, sure. You want a bit more substance? All right, here we go. Uh, what do I remember as a child? Ooh. 
I actually, one of the earliest memories I have is running around in um, like a farm, but in Asia, in Malaysia actually, where there were water buffaloes. Mm-hmm. That's That would have been when I was about four, I think. Yeah. Four or five years old. So were you born in Malaysia? Uh, no, I was born in Australia, but oh. my, my parents are from Malaysia. Right. And... Um, I remember being on a, on, on a well, I call it a farm, but someone's property, mm-hmm. and there, there were water buffaloes and lots of chickens running around, and me just running around with all these these various animals. You'd be surprised how many. I mean, I've interviewed about four, five hundred people on this program, and you'd be surprised how many people have that earliest memories about running around. It's quite surprising. Usually, about one in mm. two. Yeah, mm. that that joy of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the, the freedom that we have as a, as a, an innocent child, mm. um, and and just yeah, being able to run around in the sunshine and, and wherever you are, and mm. having a bit of an exploration of your environment. Mm. So, were both your parents from Malaysia? Yes. Right. Uh, are they still alive? Uh, no. But, um, my my father is is still alive. Yes. Right. Do you want to say anything about them or? No, they're just, he's just around. Oh, just around. He's just around. Your parents were just around. They're They're feeding you, looking after you, you know. Yeah. Yeah, sending you to school, hoping you do well. Yeah, so just pretty much of a a pretty, what I would call a regular upbringing, you know, just doing the best they could. Dad worked, mum stayed at home. Um, You know, pretty uneventful kind of life growing up in, in Australia. Right. Um, just, yeah, just, that, that's pretty, that's pretty, you know. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> I, I, was, I, was the, I was the rebellious child growing up, but yeah. I guess we'll get back, we'll get to that later on. How many of you were there growing up in this two. little household? Just two children? Two. Yep, two children. Right, yep. so two adults, yeah. two children in the burbs. In the burbs, yes. Where, where, where? Can you name the suburb? Um, we, we grew up in Springvale. Ah, that's so right. So the Springvale, Danong area, mm. where it was kind of uh, much rougher than where it is now. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, so during that time, there was um, a lot of heroin. That's right. Um, there was a, a lot of uh, sort of gangs. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot of violence, especially around Danong train station. Mm. So I remember being... Um, uh, not allowed to, to go to that train station. If I had to take public transport, it had to be a different train. I mean, we had different op- we had options of where to go uh, to pick up public transport. So it was never that train station, and I was never allowed to be dropped off at that train station um, yeah. because at that time it was it was uh, pretty dangerous. Yeah, because I remember um, the period quite well. I was in my thirties and forties then. Uh, I had a patient, and he's dead now, so I can speak about him. He uh, he was a quadriplegic, and he had a heroin habit, but uh, yes. he'd, he'd run out of money, right? So him and his mate mm. were, were rocked up to Springvale, you know. Yes. At that stage, the Croatians were in a little tussle with the Vietnamese for the control of the heroin mm. trade. I don't yes. know if you remember that period. And uh, they pull up the car, and his mate goes out to score, and he's like, remember this bloke's a quadriplegic. He's lying in the back seat under a under a sheet. He puts himself up on his elbow. He's got this huge gun in his hand, and he points it. And you're quite right. That's the period it was. People had guns. There was a lot of guns around. 
and there was yeah. a lot of violence. And people don't understand how violent Springvale was at mm. that period and how the drug trade was really, really nasty business. Mm. Yeah. Did you have yeah, any... I, I, remember, I remember pockets of, of Melbourne being like that. Like, um, yeah. you know, St Kilda was, was also like that. And that was an area that I really... Uh, enjoyed hanging out mm. because it had some really cool cafes and mm. uh, it was kind of bohemian at mm. that time. Mm. I mean, we're talking about, you know, um, 80s, 90s um, period. And it's very different to what it is now, uh, which is, you know, very upmarket and and much more um, gentrified. But um, walking along the streets of St Kilda was just very, very different. That's right. And you always, there's always a risk I don't think I remember. I remember when the you would have been pretty young when the police shootings were going on, when they had this policy of shooting people, and I remember there were a number of high-profile uh, murders of us individuals in in St Kilda. Yeah, at that time, it's uh, it was. I think people they talk about violence. They talked about you know African gang violence and all that shit. But compared to the seventies and eighties, it was a different story, and it was even different in the sixties and seventies. In yeah, Port it's really, Melbourne, it's you know. Exactly, really different. And the whole vibe, the whole energy of the place was very different. And, um, yeah, people people don't understand that. You know, uh, Fitzroy, Brunswick Street, um, Footscray, uh, Richmond, North Richmond, all these areas that are uh, much more gentrified, you know, lots of, much, uh, lots of uh, bigger apartment buildings and developments. And you know, you know, especially in North Richmond with the massive IKEA complex. Yeah. I mean, it's very different to ten, fifteen, twenty years ago. That's right. Now, I assume you went to school somewhere, Dean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, where did you go to primary school? Well, I, I went to a, a couple of different primary schools around Melbourne. Well, is that because you were um, rebellious or something? What was going on here? No, 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 no. <laughs> we, we moved. We moved around a lot because yeah. of. Um, of work, my dad's work, and also trying to find a place to live um, that was affordable, uh, that you know that, that they thought was you know uh, close to schools and, and transport, um, and so we we had you know different places, but you know that was okay. I mean, I I had I had an education, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. an itinerant lifestyle. Did you? I I find that when kids move a lot, that's hard making. Friendships. Did you have any trouble making friends in primary school? Uh, yes and yes and no. I, I guess for me and my personality type, I kind of just have one or two close friends, mm-hmm. and then everyone else sort of just comes along for the ride. I guess. Right. Um, so, <laughs> so, so the, the best way to describe it was. Um, in the main primary school I had, which was you know near, near Springvale, I had one or two close friends, and then we also had a group of um, a larger group of friends as part of the you know the cohorts that we'd all hang out with mm. at, at primary school. Right. And did you find in primary school that uh, you were good at anything? Did you excel at anything? Um, mainly reading. Reading. Right. Yeah. I. I, I Found that um because I was I was encouraged to you know to read and growing up in Australia we were always told to like you know um, speak English read English do really well as an as an Australian mm. and so that's that's what I kind of grew up as and so I loved you know books and um, mm. losing myself in, in in fiction and what did you speak at home 
English. 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 So your parents yeah, made yeah. that decision from the early stages. They were in, a, yep. in Australia, you were going to learn English, and they spoke English at home, yeah. yeah I, I yeah. had diametrically different experience. My parents were Italian, and I, although I was born here in 51, I didn't speak a word of English until I was five, until they threw me in wow. primary school. Yeah. So it's, it's a different mentality. Obviously, your parents were aspirational for you. My parents were basically, you know, sink or swim. <laughs> Oh, well, I would have loved to have, have that um, knowledge or, or further knowledge of, of culture and language. Mm, mm. And that's something I'm, sort of, I'm kind of playing catch up with now in my life. Right. So uh, mm. are you learning a language? That, that's something on my, on my list of things to do. Yeah, um, remember, you're an old man now. Yep. You, you know, it's, <laughs> it takes a while. <laughs> it takes a while to learn a language. I can tell. I've tried a few occasions and failed miserably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but you're right. It it is an interesting experience to actually be fluent in two languages. You know, yeah. as you're growing up. Yeah. Did you find any issues um, at primary school because you're you're Asian or everybody was Asian? No, no, everybody no. Was no I was I was one of the few Asian um, Asian people in in my school, mm-hmm. but there was never never a problem with with racism or discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, growing up, I remember that where where the primary school was, we were actually next to farms. So we were next door to cows and potato farms. It was just, again, a very weird experience <laughs> because you, you had this, um, I, I guess, area that was slowly being um, developed for housing, mm. and yet the farms were slowly disappearing, but we were... The, the primary school was actually next to a farm. And I remember during uh, lunch breaks, we would go and put our hands through the, 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 the wire fencing to try and grab some potatoes yeah. because there were potatoes growing next door. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, kids it are, was really cool. It is cool. Kids used to do that. You'd steal fruit from trees. Uh, yeah. You know, you'd, <laughs> you'd fish for eels, <laughs> all that type of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, poor old Kelly here. She's she's a city girl. She doesn't understand what your experience is doing. She's laughing at us, you know, as country boys. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, obviously, you left primary school, and uh, where'd you go to high school? So again, I was in the local area. Right, just went to right. a local school in yeah. that area. A state um, school, public school. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how's how, how did you get on there? Oh, it's fine. I'm just. I was pretty quiet. I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty quiet sort of person, mm-hmm. and so I, I sort of just um, kept my head down, just did the work, and just yeah, just carried on with with um, with my life. And um, again, had a, a couple of really good close friends, and that that's how um, mm-hmm. I've continued with my life. I guess just have a very small inner circle. Yeah, but let's get it back to this. You said personality type. I mean, most mm. people don't know their personality type. We're not inward-looking. What mm. makes you think that you know your personality type? I've had a lot of therapy. <laughs> <laughs> and you believe what they tell you? Oh, no, not at all. I've come across some <laughs> terrible, uh, terrible um, therapists. Yes. Um, I've, I've had some um, some mental health stuff in my life. Right. Um, I've also had some uh, trauma in my life, and so... I'm always on this kind of path of uh, getting the support I need mm-hmm. um, and figuring it out. Right. So it's it's a continuous uh, learning experience for me. 
Right. So mm. at high school, um, did you continue in the English vein, the humanities vein, or did you move into science? I, I went into science because that was what was, I guess, culturally expected of me, to, to do well, therefore get a good job, mm. go into you know, math, sciences, that kind of thing, which I really hated. I, I didn't... I understood the concepts. I understood what was being taught, but my heart wasn't in it. It was actually in the humanities, languages, history. Um, and even as a small child, I actually thought of becoming a, a possibly an archaeologist or some, you know, someone like that. Um, but I never pursued it. No. And instead, no. I went into the sciences, and I thought, okay, well, you know, I'll be a, a, a I don't know, a scientist or a doctor or something like that. But mm. my heart wasn't in it. So I, I had a really, um, I, I guess, a, a, a tough time later in high school where I really didn't enjoy myself. Right. So when you got those year 12 marks, did you cry mm. or did you laugh? A bit of both. Um <laughs> Because I'm, I'm actually a high school dropout. Uh, ooh, we didn't get to year twelve. Yeah, um, and I did it, yeah. but I, I, I basically didn't mentally didn't turn up. Right. So I, I pretty much checked out. Um, right. I checked out probably in a few years before that, mm-hmm. where I was like, you know, what, I'm not learning anything here. You're just ex- the expectation is to do well, but I'm not learning anything. You're, I'm just required to memorize. Uh, answers or, or how to answer questions and that's it mm. and so what what I've done now in my my current life is I've gone back to school over the last several years to study subjects and courses that I actually would like to do well that's that's very positive so what does a high mm. school drop out do <sighs> travel the world become a sex worker travel um, the world let's look mm. at that first I always like other people's travel how did you finance mm. that travelling? Um, uh, look, if it's illegal, you don't have to tell us. You know, if you, no, 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 no. You no, weren't no. one of those people that was. <laughs> you weren't one of those people who was arrested two days ago, were you? No, shh, shh. no, no, no. Not okay, all. all right, okay, all right. Keep no, going because no. I do. I do know people. This is in the sixties and seventies. who used to finance their uh, their overseas trips through the drug trade, but that's a different mm. story. Obviously, you're not that yes. type of person. No. Yes, I, I, I have I have stories about that too, but I'm <laughs> I'm not directly involved like that. No, no, no. Um, no I, I just did hospitality and worked uh, retail jobs and hospitality yeah, and yeah. saved really hard. So, then, the, so where'd you go? Where'd yeah. you go? Where'd you go? So, like any Australian, we go to the UK first, right. um, and then from there just travel around Europe. So, how long were you in the UK for? Um, two and a half years, almost three years. So, what? You're about twenty then, or? Yeah. Yeah. What did your parents think about you leaving at 18 and going to the UK? Oh, they, they thought it was great. I, I went with <laughs> friends, so there was a, a group of us. So it was a safe uh, right. environment to be in. Mm-hmm. I wasn't by myself. I was with you know friends. And so we, we uh, rented a, an apartment together and uh, you know lived life. Right. So, mm. so hospitality, were you, were you in, the, in the bar scene, were you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, yeah. Working at bars, hotels, cafes, yeah. um, you know, simple jobs that backpackers could, um, yeah. could get. How were you treated? Oh, easy, I loved it. It was all right. Loved it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've been really lucky in my life, and I think it's pure, you know, pure luck, 
in that I guess the way that I present myself and the way I speak and sound, people think I'm really, really um, rich. So when I was... <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's... And, and this is this is like the furthest from the case. Oh, like, my bank balance is in the minus. Yeah. Welcome to yet, the club. Welcome to the club. Yeah. I've got 30 and, and, years on you, and my bank balance is still in the minus. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, yeah, but that's the most hilarious thing. So when I was travelling, people would think that I'm some sort of rich Japanese tourist or whoever, yeah. and I get treated really well, even though I look like a bum. Yeah. You know, I just basically jeans and a T-shirt. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. anything flashy. Yeah. And I and I continue to do that in my life is that I don't wear flashy clothing. I don't have flashy clothing. It's just basic stuff. But no, you just I look th- flash. Think, yeah. You just look flash. You got that look. You know, you got that. <laughs> you got that tailored look. Now, just just an aside. When you talked about being identified as Japanese and being looked after, it reminds mm. me of the apartheid system in South Africa. Because the Japanese had money, so the apartheid yeah. authorities classified them as honorary whites, so they could actually visit and spend oh, money. That's right. Wow. <laughs> honorary whites they were. Oh my given, God. And that was their title. You know, you got your coloureds, your mixed coloureds. You know, your blacks, your whites, and oh. then you had your honorary whites. Yeah, yeah. Wow. See, so you should have gone to South Africa. <laughs> oh. <laughs> all right. Okay. All right. So you get bored with England. Did you see the Queen? No, I actually saw Princess Diana. Did you? Tell us mm, about that. Mm, mm. So my friends and I were, I don't know where we were one day, we were just, at, at night, we were just hanging out somewhere, and we saw all this police um, uh, on motorcycles, so a police um, uh, motorcycle uh, guard of honour, I guess, and they were driving really fast, and all the, all the lights were on. And we thought, okay, what's what's going on here? Some someone of importance is coming through. And then in uh, a limousine, I, I can't remember what car it was, was Princess Diana, and she was looking out mm-hmm. to the to the crowd. Mm-hmm. And because it was at night, and there were lots of like lights in where we where we were standing, you could see into the car. And it was it was Princess Diana, mm-hmm. and um, and she she looked. Incredible. She had it. It. Like you know, you know when have, you know when you see some people and they just seem like a movie star or yeah. have some special quality. Yeah, just just it. just like you, like you. You know, <laughs> you know. Everybody thinks you're Japanese no, you're, and they treat you well. You yeah, got, you got it. I, you got it. You know, you don't have to dress yeah. up. You got it. I've got the honorary white for, yeah, um, passport. Okay. <laughs> did, she, did she have any jewelry on, or just she just looked it? Oh, I, I can't remember what she was wearing, but just, uh, I don't know. But I just, it was mainly the face and these yes. brilliant blue eyes, like mm. piercing blue eyes mm. that just radiated out of the car. And you just thought, wow, what, who, who is that? Uh, yeah. Did, did you yeah. get a wave? No, no, she was looking uh, out and the car sped by yeah. really fast. I reckon if I put you in a car with a police escort, people think you're pretty deep and, you know. <laughs> You're too kind. No, no, no. no. I think, I think, I think it's the you know, it's 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 the clothes that make of the person. You know that. It's not about. You'll be fine. All right. This this sounds like an idyllic life to date. So why did you decide to go to? No. (laughs) I mean, think have been things been happening in the background. You've been battling with yourself, have you? Well, yeah. I've I've had um, a combination of uh, 
trauma and uh, abuse as a child, not mm. by my parents, right. but by others, mm-hmm. um, going to adult life, mm-hmm. um, and also mental health issues that were later diagnosed in my life. Mm-hmm. So um, trying to figure out you know, what's going on in my life, why do I behave in a certain way, and it's 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 only the last several years I've I've sort of started to make headway mm-hmm. with what's going on with me. Right. So, yeah. so when did you when when were you forced to seek um, advice or assistance? Oh, I've I've sought it since I was I guess eighteen. Eighteen. So it's right. been decades and decades of of this kind of work. Mm. The the main thing for me was finding the right person or the right type of treatment. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people would say, or a lot of people I came across would say, oh, you just got anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And they would treat me for that. Um, whereas what I've got is a little bit more more than that. It's a bit, it's, it's a bit of a longer list. Right. And it's, it's also about me feeling comfortable to talk about myself mm-hmm. to strangers, let alone a therapist. And so it's it's me finding that kind of confidence to talk, like like what I'm doing now with you, mm-hmm. um, to be able to say, look, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out myself now, and I feel a little bit more confident to to have a chat. Right. All right. Let's go yeah. to more mundane things. You, you flew over. I assume you caught the ferry to Europe. You wouldn't have enough money to fly over, would you? No. No. Not at all. <laughs> it was the, it the was Calais ferry. The ferry. Cal- yeah. Calais ferries, White Cliffs of Dover. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. all of that. Yeah. Across to France. Yes, yes. So, you know, a bit of France, Germany, yeah. Spain, yeah. Um, Belgium. Hmm. Yeah, all those places. Yeah. Anything catch your eye? Uh, <laughs> You've been to the... Really? I, I guess just how intense things are. So what I mean by that is, you yes, you have the historical aspect of, of visiting um, countries, towns, places of historical significance and um, beauty and art. But then, again, when you look deeper into a culture, you can explore it on a much deeper level. So, for example, you can explore it through the eyes of someone who um, enjoys the club scene or the bar scene or the music scene, which is what I did. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. So, you know... So, so, so is this one, the first time you, you went into the bar music scene, is it? No, no, no. This is more into the European scene. In the European um, scene, right. In, in the European scene with, mm. where, where, you know, you, I would be there with friends at right. one, two, three, four in the morning yeah. and we'd, you know, we'd go bar hopping or club yeah. hopping or wherever. Mm. And, and seeing how locals lived and, and partied, and it was just incredible because it's very different to being in Australia, which I'd also, you know, explored the club and bar scene um, mm. since I was 18. Mm. And it was more intense because of the population size as well. Mm. You know, you're, you're in countries where, where there is a bigger population, and so it, it's, it's more intense. Right. Did you go to Berlin to experience that yeah. scene? Yes, love Berlin. Yeah, everybody I've spoken to seems to have. Uh, yeah, and, and I partic- yeah, and I particularly loved East Berlin. Mm. I just, I just loved all the, the sort of just how it, we went, we went to parts that weren't as developed as, as you know, 
Berlin, the main part of Berlin is. And so that was great to see all of this. Um, yeah, incredible. Right. So what made you come back to Australia? And don't tell me lack of money. <laughs> no, no, just the visa ended. The visa ended? <laughs> oh, God, I can't believe <laughs> yeah, you it. Could, I couldn't stay longer than, you know, wherever I was. And I thought, you know what, it's time to come back home. Mm. Let, let's see what, what Australia has to offer. Mm. Uh, and that, that, became another, that became another part of uh, my life story. So you came home. Did you go back home or did you, were you living independently by then? You came, um, back? came back for a short time and then went off to Sydney. Right. So this is, this is um, Sydney in the late 90s and 2000s. Right. So that would have been which was buzzing. So much fun. Yeah. Well, good. Yeah. Why was it so I, much fun? I, I guess it's the, it's the time period. So to put it in context, it's the time period after HIV AIDS. Right. And it's the time period before 2008 global financial crisis. So it's party time. So, um, and it's just after kind of like, um, um, yeah, it, it's, we've had 9-11, but it's not that bad for Australia. So it is party time. Mm. Uh, and so the, so the vibe, the energy of Sydney is very different to where mm. it is now, mm. uh, where there are a lot of, you know, and COVID has you know, pretty much destroyed a lot of the culture, but that's another story. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's a different time. Well, it was, yeah. Like, I, I remember the eighties and the nineties. I was treating people with HIV, and uh, mm. it was a dreadful, dreadful situation. People, yes. you know, there's nothing you could do for them basically, except just help them. You know, yes. there was nothing you could do, and I can imagine by the time HIV came under control, mm. uh, that uh, people felt like the survivors felt like partying. You know, yeah, and and again, and I grew up in a period where. You would see a lot of, especially in the um, in the queer media, in the mm. newspapers, mm. you would see a lot of, um, unfortunately, um, death notices yep. um, or memorials mm. being taken place mm. for people. And, mm. and I knew quite a few people who have now passed. Yes. And so, coming out of that period into you know the late nineties, two thousands, where I was like, okay, there's a bit of a breath of fresh air. You know, we, we're slowly getting something under control, and mm. um, it's it's no longer a death sentence. It's a treatable um, condition. Mm. Uh, it's a chronic condition, but it's treatable. We will be okay. That's and so, right. that that was that was interesting being in Sydney mm. Mm. At, at that time, um, and then coming back to Melbourne. So, so, how long were you in Sydney for? Oh, just a couple of years. Just a couple of years, and why did you come mm. back? Um, I thought of studying, so I had an opportunity to come back to Melbourne and uh, um, being with family and focusing on, on um, studying. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, let's let, let's let's look at some courses. Let's what, what would I be interested in? Right now, look, you've been a professional, Dean, a professional broadcaster. Now I've got to do something which I don't like doing. It's to tell people what they're listening to. I'm sure you do it on your program. This is Radical Australia on Community Radio 3CR 855 on your AM dial. I'm uh, chatting with Dean Lim, and uh, the program will be podcast. You'll be able to access the podcast the next 24 hours by going to 3cr.org.au. Did you like that uh, station announcement there, Dean? Pretty smooth. Smooth, yeah, yeah. I'm always told by <laughs> Kelly to do it halfway during the program. Have you got a producer who gives you a tough time on your program? We, we actually 
actually work um, as a team. And we oh, a team? Oh, oh, that's disgusting. <laughs> a team. You work as a team. You work cooperatively. I know. Can you believe it? By consensus. I can't believe yes. this. this. This is extraordinary. You're the type <laughs> of program we should have on 3CR. Oh, you are on 3CR. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You came back to Melbourne. What did you decide to study? Oh, it was just creative arts, so writing um, to start off with. Uh-huh. Um, because what I was doing in Sydney as well was I, I did a bit of, uh, sort of just looked at looked at the arts. Mm. You know, I thought, oh, maybe that could be interesting. You know, right. maybe write something or mm. perform something. What what would be my interest? So that kind of piqued my interest, and then from there I was like, okay, well, come back to Melbourne, look at my my uh, opportunities for studying something. Mm. And how are you earning a living at this particular point in time? So it was a combination of uh, hospitality mm-hmm. and also sex work as well. Right. So when did you drift into sex work? Ooh, I was introduced to it by a partner at the time at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Did you think that was unusual? Not really. No. 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 Well, I was pretty... I was um, pretty much a rebellious child, so I started going to clubs and bars when I was 17. Right. Um, so I was pretty much at the front door where I could literally just, yeah, good. <laughs> right, right. Okay. And um, can you make a buck out of it? Um, I certainly have. You have. But your oh, bank yeah. balance is still negative. You, um, must have, you must have a very expensive <laughs> lifestyle there, Dean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, um, what's it called? Living on a, a beer budget. Uh, sorry, champagne lifestyle on a beer, beer budget. Beer budget, that's what you're doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, you're not one of these blokes with all the jewellery on your fingers, are you? No, 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 I don't do that. You don't I, do I that? Think, no, no. I think, I think what I've done is I've, um, I've always balanced it out with uh, study and right. work. Mm-hmm. And so I think with with anything, any kind of job that you have, it's just about being consistent. Mm. And so for me, I'm I'm transitioning into other work. Yep. Um, and that, that's why I've always studied in my life to look at other industries, other opportunities. Okay. Because um, even though I've had an amazing life, um, especially being a sex worker, um, my my experiences have genuinely been really really positive. Uh, terrific clients. Um, you know, I haven't had any major issues with, you know, violence or being scammed by um, people. Mm-hmm. I feel that I would like to transition to other work, so, you know, other interests right. uh, and mm-hmm. um, make them, you know, uh, other careers and opportunities that I can, I can follow. So, so what are you interested in pursuing? Well, for me, one of the, one of the interests is mental health. Mm-hmm. So currently I'm doing volunteer outreach work to other male-to-male sex workers in my community. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I support other people. I'm, uh, you know, it, when we didn't have lockdown, I would meet with people, do outreach work, check in on, on fellow workers, um, that kind of thing. So more of a support role. Right. Um, and, and that's something I'm, I'm interested in doing. Right. Do you, do you get satisfaction out of doing it? Obviously, yes. you must. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you think your your experience is 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 what helps the other person, or yes, yes, mm. definitely. Mm. And and also just listening, uh, having the capacity to just listen to other people, um, and let them share their experiences and and what they're going through. Well, it's interesting you say that because that's what most people say. It's about listening. 
It's not about having solutions, but it's about listening to somebody. There's nothing worse than somebody saying, oh, yes, I know the problem. You've got to do this, this and this. I assume this is what, what happened for a lot of your uh, therapy over the years, was it? Yeah, it's it's about just what I've observed is the best um, therapist that I've come across actually let me speak and uh, share my experiences and then we can sort of mutually figure things out. Mm. Uh, and and it's that's, that's kind of the space you need when you're doing outreach work is to just let people figure things out as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's not about fixing anything. Right, yeah, because sometimes there's no solutions, are there? Mm, that's there, right. There's no solutions. I mean, they may put a personality type on you, but it doesn't mean that that gives you a, an exit ticket from the uh, hassles you're going through. Mm. Yeah, so um, what do you think about the sex work uh, scene in Melbourne? Do you think it's dying or do you think it's growing? Do you think COVID-19 has had an impact on it? Oh, COVID's definitely affected all of us mm-hmm. um, and that you know no one's you know no one's really working because of you know we don't know what's going on in the community how how this is being spread so fast mm-hmm. um, so you know we're all pretty pretty uh, anxious the the work that I've seen over the last couple of years is everyone's moved online right uh, so you know but what I mean is people are using social media so people are using websites um, apps to to communicate uh, with each other, either internally within a community or peer groups, mm. as well as uh, with clients. Right, right. And do you think it's uh, adequate being online? Um, it's it's very fast. It's it's like going to a, a fast food place. <laughs> you, have, you have a lot of choices, yes. and you can get something pretty much instantly. That's right. You've got and and. Yeah, You've so got three very, billion uh, people out there, and you know, yeah, yeah, online. You know, you could, um, as the gentleman in Germany found when he wanted his penis cut off and to be cannibalised, he found somebody oh. who's willing to do it. Oh dear, yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the thing about three billion people on the net at once. <laughs> You'll find somebody. Um, I find it interesting that um, I've done a number of sex works, but I find it interesting that you say that. Um, You've never had issues with violence. I think is it because you think it's because of your personality, or because you're careful, or it's a, it's a combination again of, mm. of pure luck. Um, right. Also, I am careful. Uh, I guess also it's what I present as, and so I'm I'm not. Um, I, I, I guess it's just. Pure luck, and I'm and I'm not someone. When you when you meet me face to face, I'm not a small person, but I'm mm. not a big person either. Right. So I guess that people think that I can sort of take care of myself, and right. they wouldn't want to mess with me. Right. So, um, you have, so you haven't got a mohawk and tats running across your neck. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, used to. You used to. <laughs> Good plastic <laughs> surgery. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I think it's also just having the ability to screen people too. I've, yes, I've always had yes. uh, particular um, policies in place where you know you ask questions and okay. uh, the way you advertise as well, right. and where you advertise. Again, it's a combination of a lot of things. Right. And I, anecdotally, what I feel is um, that uh, unfortunately violence is um, 
there's a higher percentage of violence perpetrated, unfortunately, in the female uh, community and also the female trans community, unfortunately. And uh, again, statistically, men are the perpetrators of violence mm. towards others. Um, and so it's just it's just been really awful. Um, so hopefully when we get uh, decrim laws passed all over Australia, not just Victoria, that'll hopefully turn the tide as well as the understanding of family violence and violence in, in general perpetrated against women. Um, there's a greater understanding, there's greater awareness, uh, better public campaigns, public awareness campaigns. So I, I think from a generation point of view, we're, we're going in the right direction. It's just slowly we're, we're getting there. Mm. Do you find in the um, female sex um, work that there are large players who uh, dominate the industry or is there uh, room for independent workers? Oh, there's always room for everyone in, in any industry. Mm-hmm. As, as you were saying before, there's three billion people and there's something, someone and something for everyone. Right, but I'm just saying in Melbourne yeah. itself, in Melbourne itself, are there, are there, are there dominant players or... Uh, or oh, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. of course. There are, that's, that's in anywhere, but yes, there are... In any, you know, whether you're male, female, mm. however you identify, mm. there are there will be some dominant players. Uh, in saying that, the the customers love to look around. Right. Um, mm. You know, like, like like with anything, you know, you're looking for a I don't know, um, new pair of shoes, or you're looking for a, a, you know to get a coffee or a, a cup right. of tea. Right. You know, people shop people shop around. They shop around, yeah. and and, mm. and if you find these. Uh, um, these new apps have kind of um, kind of curdled business a bit, or no, no, not at all, not at all, not at all. And and what I found, and this is the funny thing, throughout my my life over the decades, is that we all have the same clients. It is hilarious. <laughs> so I've worked, I've, I've worked um, internationally. Yes, so I've, I've worked in London as a sex worker. I've worked in London. Yeah. I've worked in New York. Yeah. I've worked around Australia, so I've worked in Melbourne, Canberra, and Sydney. Right. And um, in my time in those different places, I was able to sort of uh, be in contact with other workers. Yes. Um, especially, you know, male to male, what I call male to male workers. Yes. And we were able to compare notes. And mm. uh, pretty much 10 times out of 10, we had the same, we had the same clients. Really? So, you... yeah. <laughs> so it's a circulating yeah. group of men. Yeah. So again, um, the, what I mean by it, yeah. if, if we were similar looking, yes, um, in that uh, you know I present as you know athletic build, yes, that's my 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 body shape or type. Mm, yeah. um, if I talk to other male to male workers who have you know athletic builds, mm. we would actually have the same client. Same client. And do you work in, on... anywhere in the world? Yeah, well, it's hilarious. It's, it is hilarious. Yeah. Do you, do you work on your athletic build? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, look, I've, 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 I haven't got an I athletic have. build, and I find it interesting that you've got an athletic build, and you're in that industry where looks do matter. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. you can yeah. you do gym workouts, or? Yes, yeah. So I've always, I've always gone to the gym. I've always looked after myself in terms of what I eat. Right. Um, but that's just always been like a health-conscious kind of um, mm. behaviour. Mm. Um, I, 
I have gone through periods of being, you know, much more sort of um, too body conscious. But now, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm like, okay, well, just do it because I want to be healthy, right. uh, not because of, of uh, vanity. Um, yeah, because it's easy. To, it's easy to get trapped in that. Right. Um, but in saying that, I, I see it. What I do is being part an actor, part therapist, yes. because you and customer service uh, person in that. You have to present a certain way. You have to be professional, but you also have to be open to what the other person's going through. So, a lot of the sessions I call them sessions with clients ends up being um, a form of therapy for them, mm. whether they're exploring their sexuality or they just want to be with someone who makes them feel comfortable and relaxed. Um, it, it's it's you know kind of a, a kind of a form of therapy in a way. Does uh, sex work have impact on your own relationships? Um, it has in the past, quite negatively, in that there's been a lot of what I call stigma about being a sex worker. So there were some studies done in um, gay male populations looking at uh, attitudes towards sex and sex work. And... There was a study done, I can't remember when, but in the last several years that actually showed that about between 20 and 25% of the gay male population has done sex work, mm-hmm. um, even if just even if it was just a once-off uh, situation. And that's really interesting to me in that, generally speaking, the attitude is if, as a male, gay male, if you uh, um, provide sex work, you're considered uh, dirty, you're considered um, too sexually promiscuous, uh, you know, you're you're not a very good person. Whereas if you give it away for free on the gay dating apps, you're seen as this sexual rebel, you're, uh, you know, you're yeah. cool, yeah, um, you yeah. know, you're, you're amazing, you're like a, you know, a porn god. Yeah. And there's that really weird... Uh, I guess, uh, mm. negative bias towards right. sex work mm. and being paid for sex. Mm. So you find that inhibits long-term relationships, do you? It, it has inhibited relationships, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I've had some really negative experiences with people who found out that I've done sex work and right. um, their attitudes have been unbelievably uh, ridiculous, well, I think is ridiculous yeah. because they're not sex positive and yet they are the ones who are on the gay dating apps. They are the ones who are hooking up mm. with strangers oh. for free yeah. without even knowing the person's name. Mm. And yet when I do it as a business uh, for money, mm. I'm seen as the, the, you know, a, a bad person. Mm. So you are talking about decriminalisation before. Mm. How far yes. have we got down that road? On, on our show, we actually interviewed uh, the MP Fiona Patton, who led a sex work uh, law review last year. She put in her findings to the government this year, and uh, everything's been delayed, obviously, because of COVID. Mm. Uh, we're still waiting for her findings to be tabled in the Victorian um, Parliament to be made into law. So we're, we're still waiting to see what happens. We, we think the outcome will be very favourable, towards uh, decrim and changing the laws that we have in Victoria 
it's not the be-all and end-all because there's still a lot of work to do in terms of um, you know, changing a whole heap of laws, um, but it's a start. So what, what, what are you expecting to be in the recommendations? Obviously, what would you expect? I'm not asking you to tell me what's in the recommendations. They haven't been tabled yet, but what have you asked for? But the main thing, um, the general consensus is we need to change some of the laws in Victoria. So at the moment we have what's called a legalised framework, which means if you want to be a legal sex worker, you need to be on a registry. Mm-hmm. To be a legal sex worker means that you can only work outside of your home, you cannot work from home, and you can only work at a client's home or a hotel that they've booked in their name. Right. The other way you could do it is you need to you could you could apply to work as a brothel, which is two or more people working together, mm-hmm. or even one person. Um, but you need to be in uh, an area that is pretty much an industrialised zone in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So there's all these kind of weird, weird laws that make it really prohibitive. Mm-hmm. So that's a few things we'd like to see changed, right. and we there's there's um, definite hope that Fiona Patton will do that because, you know, she's a former sex worker herself. Um, she has been in consultation with a whole heap of people in the community, um, myself included, uh, and so she is open to making the, the laws uh, more favourable, um, um, to make it a, a more of an even playing field where people can say, you know, look, I am a sex worker, I treat this as a business, so let me... Um, so what's the advantage of being a legal sex worker in 2021? Is there an advantage? Uh, yes, because the other thing that we're looking at as well is banking discrimination. Um, so there are, again, anecdotally, of what I've heard of people tell me from their uh, experiences is that banks have discriminated against them when they found out that they are a sex worker. Right. Um, so people have had their bank accounts closed they have um, had issues where um, they can't uh, have uh, any sort of due process of dispute resolution when a client has paid them uh, uh, electronically and then had the funds refunded back to them. Right, so, so there is an advantage. Now, getting back mm. to, to your mental health issues, you know, I don't want to make yep. this a therapy session, but what did you find most useful? I mean, there's many, many as you know, there's many, many ways of... Uh, dealing with issues, what did you find most useful for you? Uh, Having a structure and being able to say to the therapist, I have a few issues I would like to uh, address in my life, a few challenges, Uh, here are some of them, can we work out a structure, a framework of how to have a look at that? And so having some sort of plan Hmm. um, so that each session that I would have has a structure, has a plan, has an outcome um, where it is beneficial to me versus just a talking session. Right. And how about uh, medication? I assume you went through that phase when you were medicated. What did you think of that phase? Uh, Hit and miss. Right. Again, it's it's like finding a good therapist. It's finding the right medications that work Mm -hmm. for what, what I have, and I'm still on that path. Right. Because I've gone through a lot of different um, medications and the majority don't work. And I don't know why. So 
think a lot of people, uh, some people, there's a small cohort that's resistant, and mm. I think it's to do serotonin release and serotonin uptake. Yeah, uh, yeah, yes, it's, it it's it's not about uh, you as an individual. It's about yes. it's about physiology. So, what yeah. language are you going to learn? I'm interested. What language you you, you said to me you're going to learn a language? Mm. I, I actually want to learn Chinese. Chinese. That's that's mm. that's hard. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> no, which one? Mandarin, Cantonese, what? Uh, man, Mandarin. Real Chinese. I want well, not real Chinese. It's it's Mandarin. Look, I know, I know. Look, I'd like to be your friend. You know why, Dean? <laughs> why? Uh, when, if I believe Mr. Morrison, and I believe everything he tells me, that when the Chinese invade, <laughs> you, you'll be made the Quisling of Melbourne, and I and I need to be your friend. All right. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so, that, that's that's someone who needs a lot of therapy. I don't know if anyone can help him at all. Well, he goes to church and he sings and he speaks in tongues. Uh, but he's got a dearth of humanity. But it'll it'll work out. God will visit him one day. Put him <laughs> in the right way. <laughs> no, it's not soon enough. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe she's deserted him. Who knows? Um, yes. Now, getting back, uh, when did you first hear about 3CR? Oh, okay. So it's, I've been listening to 3CR since I was a kid. You've been uh, radicalised. <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much. Um, and I, I just stumbled across it because I also do a lot of channel surfing, even to the present day. Uh, I, I, I still channel surf because I want to see, you know, hear what other, what's on uh, the air for other stations. Mm. Um, FM, AM, you know, um, satellite radio, whatever, um, and, it, and and as a child, I would, um, I'm on the radio, listen to um, all the different stations and, and, you know, whether it's music or, or talkback or whatever, and I, I stumbled upon 3CR and um, listening to the, the different shows and what people were talking about. Oh, yeah. So, look, so we're responsible for your corruption as a human being. <laughs> We're responsible. Look, I've been here for 44 years and I'm, I'm pleased that maybe I had a small part in your radicalisation. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> so when did you actually set foot into 3CR? Oh, 3CR set foot. Um, it was about two and a bit years ago, right. actually. So what dragged so, you through the front door? Um, so I always knew about 3CR and I always walked past. <laughs> right. Um so I, 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 and this, the funny thing is, um, I would go clubbing in the area, in the Fitzroy Collingwood area, and I'd always walk past on the way to get um, a certain uh, food from a very well-known takeaway um, uh, company in the area at, you know, three, four... Across the road, yeah, the one, the, the one we protested against a few years yeah. ago when they called the police. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know the one you're talking about, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's open, yeah, and they offer, offer cheap coffee, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I always knew about 3CR. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was only about you know, two and a bit years ago, so what happened was, um, so on my show I'm, I'm part of three co-hosts, um, Sasha mm. and Kitty, mm. and Kitty is one of the main people who uh, created and founded Behind Closed Doors, our show, mm-hmm. and she actually uh, approached me as a, as a guest to... to uh, have a chat and to talk about my experience as a, as a sex 
worker, and so that's how I you know, um, became aware of the show and walked into 3CR. And then from there, I, I was invited to uh, be a more permanent uh, co-host mm-hmm. um, of, of the show, and, and here I am. Right. Look, are you a lazy host like I am? Does does no research, or are you one of these fastidious, you know, presenters that has got it all on pat and has done the research? Oh, I, I, I'm again. It's a bit of luck, and I think luck has played a, a big part in my life. Um, and I'm grateful for all of this. Uh, and things happen that have fallen into, into play into my lap, in, so to speak. So with, with this show, we're very lucky in that there's a lot of people supporting us and helping us, um, you know, helping with research, helping with finding guests. Um, and what, I've, what I do, or playing to my strengths, is I, I really enjoy editing. And, uh, what? Are you mad? Yeah. <laughs> you mad? We don't edit here on Radical Australia. I do three oh, programs. Sorry, yeah. I don't edit. What do you edit for? <laughs> I, I know, because I'm a sucker for punishment. Oh, you are. You're an editor. Yeah. That's disgusting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I look, I look, Dean, Dean I've, I had a great deal of respect for you, but I don't know now. You're an editor. Oh, <laughs> and, and I think it's a little bit being OCD as well. Yeah, yeah. I, and now realising that, you know what, that's why people do live shows. So we, we did a lot of, uh, we have done a lot of pre-recorded shows. Yeah. And so I, I enjoy putting it all together, but it is extremely stressful. It is. Uh, but it, it's, it's really enjoyable when you finish something and you, you have that, mm. that episode and you've done it and it's a really good, you know, really amazing sense of accomplishment. But again, I couldn't have done it by myself. It's, it's again, a team effort of people contributing and putting their, their oh, uh, interviews and, and their uh, contribution. Dean, Dean, you don't need to be nice to your co-hosts. You know that. <laughs> This is three. Yes, I, yes, I, no, no, yes, no, I no, 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 no. Look, yeah, Dean, no, I, I keep telling people there are two types of people at three CR: show ponies and draft horses. Now, you're a show pony, Dean. No, okay, no, you don't no, need to no, edit. No. You don't need to edit. All right. <laughs> Look, it's been no, a, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and that's what it is a chat. And hopefully, uh, your experiences that you've shared with our listeners on Radical Australia will. Uh, have some impact on people, and if they don't, bad luck. It's their bad luck. And uh, next time I see one of those rappers at 3CR, I know who's responsible. <laughs> rappers from across the road, you know, those containers. Oh, no, no, yeah, look, no, uh, you know we have a band here at 3CR. <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell management that you're the one who's responsible, Dean, all right? No. <laughs> I haven't eaten that for a long time. <laughs> well, at your age, you need to look after your body. Can I tell yes, you I one do. last thing? That if you eat a lot of that stuff and you die, you decompose at half the rate of somebody who eats naturally. That's how many chemicals there are in it. Exactly right. Uh, look, Very Dan, toxic. it's been a pleasure talking to you. You're a great addition to uh, 3CR. Hopefully, you will continue here for another 50 years. So all oh, the best. Thank you so much. And look yeah. after yourself, and uh, we need people like you at this station because we need people who are being radicalised when they were young. <laughs> All the best. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> Did you enjoy listening to this podcast? 3CR is a community radio station, and you, the listener, are part of that community. Right now, it's our Radiothon, and we need you to pitch in with a few dollars to keep the station going. We can't do it without you. It's easy. 
head to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. Your donation really matters. Help support community-powered podcasts for another year.